I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are recapping a surprising loss for the Kansas Jayhawks to Texas Tech over the weekend down in Lubbock, and then looking ahead to the Iowa State matchup that's happening in uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse. It is the first opening game for the conference slate at home for the year, uh, surprisingly so, thanks to COVID. But uh, to help me both look back and then look ahead, uh, joining us for the first time here on the podcast, it is Michael Swain. He is the new head guy over at Fog.net, replacing most likely most of Scott Chasen's appearances here on the podcast, but you know, when, when Scott moves on, you got to find, you know, the next guy that gets to jump in into his place. And I'm sure we've got a really, really great uh, replacement here in Michael. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. Get ready for a, uh, another busy week here full of hoops for KU. Obviously visit start up with football as well. So definitely uh, ready for a busy week ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing some more about the additional football stuff. Uh, that's going to be happening because, you know, for once, there's excitement about football in the offseason, which is not really something you're used to as a Kansas fan, you know, and, and a guy that covers Kansas. So it, it's exciting to actually have some excitement surrounding football at this time of year. Um, but obviously, basketball is usually the big story right now, and a lot of stuff has happened. Um, you know, Kansas had to start conference play a little bit later than they normally would. Um, but, uh, you know, Texas Tech obviously getting their first or giving Kansas their first loss in conference. I do want to I do want to ask, based off of what you know about this team and kind of the way this you know last few weeks have gone, were you were you surprised that Kansas had as much trouble as they did with Texas Tech? Not necessarily, because I think you look at what Texas Tech does and you look at what KU's strengths have been and they kind of were a little bit of a mismatch, right, where Texas Tech really good offensive rebounding team going into the game. KU has not been a great defensive rebounding team this season. I thought that was a mismatch. You know, Texas Tech was able to get plenty of offensive boards against Kansas. And then you look at someone like Remy Martin being banged up. 
and you need him in these road environments. And I think Bill Self said it post game, but that was the first real road game KU has played this season. You know, I was there in Stillwater. It was not a road game. Like it was half full and a lot of KU fans were there as well. So not super hostile. So I think we're looking at a game there where it was really this team's first true road test. Remy Martin was banged up and did not look anywhere near his best self. And I think going down the stretch of this season here, as we get into conference play and you go to Baylor, you go to, you know, Iowa State, you're going to need Remy Martin in those games because he's one of these guys that's kind of a, a big shot player, you know, where he may not do a bunch in the first 15 minutes of the game, but, you know, it's the final 15, 20 minutes of the game where he's able to take over and really impact your ability to win the game. And so not having him at full strength, I think, was a big deal. So I think it was all of it, a mixture of everything coming together for KU. And that building has, you know, not been great for KU. What was it, maybe two, three years ago, they got, you know, blown the doors off and they barely won there last year. So I think overall, I'm not maybe super surprised. And, I mean, Andy, how many times has KU lost a game early in conference play where you're like, Maybe that's a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, you think about some of the losses in the past, that home loss to Texas Tech a few years back. Um, there's always one. And I think you look at the schedule and it really does shake out where this probably is kind of that, that one early conference loss that he's going to have. Yeah, I mean, they, they usually have one nice and early. Um, you know, they also typically it's one on the road in a place you don't necessarily expect. And so, you know, I do think that there was a lot of, you know, a lot of, I guess, more confidence in, in the fan base, and it's going to be difficult, I think, for a lot of fans to really understand. And of course, the, the big story on Twitter, and I am, I am definitely guilty of this as well. While it was happening, talking about those charge calls, um, how inconsistent a lot of the, the officiating was in that game. And while there is definitely something to be said, right, about if the officiating is inconsistent, it can be a reason for a team to not play well. Um, you know, it's probably a good thing that they have one of those games early where, you know, they now have to figure out how do you perform well when the officiating isn't necessarily as consistent as it can be, right? Um, you know, you're going to get into those difficult environments as well. It's like this is one of those you don't want to have to lose to learn a lot of those lessons, but the fact that they're going to learn those lessons and be ready for them now later down the road is probably a good thing. Um, but you're right. Like, there was a lot of players. Like, this, this was also a game in Oklahoma State where you had quite a few players who did not play well and they had enough to kind of overcome it in that second half, David McCormick going off. This is yet again, one of those games where you have a bunch of players that didn't play the way that you expect them to. And they didn't have enough firepower. I, it was nice to see Jalen Wilson come out with 20 points, you know, to really kind of have a game that was really his breakout for the year. Although there are definitely some things that he could have done better, especially on the defensive end. Um, but we are continuing to see new ways for this team to mix and match the offense that they have and mix and match good performances with absolutely abysmal performances. And the hope is that you are going to get to a point soon where you don't have, you know, four of your, you know, most important six guys having off nights that will then lead you to having problems. The other thing to keep in mind is, again, the only two players that really had a good night would be Ochai And it wasn't as good a night as we typically see from him and Jalen Wilson. Um, everyone else, Christian Brown, even, yes, he, he came in late and was, you know, pretty good at the end there. He had a nice spurt of good defense and, and some, some offense out of nowhere, but, um, you know, he was pretty bad, I think, for most of this game, at least compared to his normal standards. And of course, down low, they couldn't figure anything out. So, you know, I mean, are, is this, I, I feel like I've had this conversation now four or five times in the last, you know, two or three weeks, but are you, are you worried about 
how they, you know, move forward with this if you have so many guys that can have off nights so consistently or, or you know, you can't seem to get everybody going. Yeah, I think there's a few things that I'll hit on here. Um, I think, first of all, the charges. You're going to get a real good test right now at the Iowa State on, on Tuesday because covering them for a little while, they love to take charges. So it'll be a, a good chance here for KU to get a little bit, measure maybe some of the improvement that you can have in practice. Um, with Ochai, I thought he was fine. He made shots, but like defensively, it was pretty bad. You know, there were a few times where he got blown by. And I think the overall theme of inconsistency goes back to, you know, who on this team is the executor, right? You look back throughout the years, you know, last year you had Marcus Garrett, that 2019-20 team, you had Devon Dotson, you know, Devontae Graham two years before that, Frank Mason. You had guys that you know you Bill could give the ball to down the stretch, and they'd be able to execute the play correctly. And as that Dayton game showed us with Remy Martin, and as we've seen kind of throughout this season, they don't have that one or two guys that you know, you know, Bill Self is confident giving the ball to and saying, go run this action and it's going to work. Because what we've seen is Bill Self's really good at drawing up some of these out of bounds plays, really good at scheming up things for his team, but he can't do it for him. And I think that's what made that 2019-20 team so good was the fact that Devon and Doe could do anything that Bill asked. And they, that Baylor game is a great example on the road there where they basically, you know, they lost down Fieldhouse right early on in the season there. And then they go to the road uh, against Baylor and they basically just run one set the entire game where it's just the high screen um, with Doak and they execute it to perfection almost every time down the court. And that was one of the big reasons why they were able to win that game and be so efficient. And then you look at this year's team and it's like, who's that guy? You know, Remy Martin, he's a little bit more of a freelancer, free-spirited type of guy, which great to have. He can hit those big shots, but I don't know if Bill Self trusts him to go and execute a play. I mean, he didn't do it earlier in the season, so maybe that's an area for improvement as conference play goes on. But it's certainly not Christian Brown. It's not Ochai Baji. You know, neither of those guys are really great with the ball in their hands creating. You know, uh, Christian Brown has done a little bit more ball handling over the last kind of week or so as, as Remy Martin's been banged up. But even then against Texas Tech, you know, how many times you turn the ball over? Three, four, you know? So I think you look at the team up and down and they don't have a bunch of guys that you can say, yeah, give him the ball and he's going to execute what Bill draws up, which I think is a big thing. And I think overall then the team really struggles to have consistent stretches where you see these long scoreless spurts where they had against Oklahoma State. They had it again against Texas Tech. So I think that it's just kind of the big theme for me so far has been the lack of guys that you really trust to go and execute what Bill Self wants to do. And so I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch kind of over the course of the season here. Yeah, I mean, it looked early like it was going to be Christian Brown. Like he was the guy that really stepped up and, and the guy that you could count on. But I think to your point, a lot of that was just them being great in isolation sets or you know being great in, in different ways of running like the game they wanted to play and not necessarily – running a set that Bill Self has set up, you know, running that out-of-bounds play. Um, you know, I think that's the one thing, honestly, that this team doesn't quite do as well. And maybe it's, you know, selective memory, and maybe it's actually not them doing it as well. But running the out-of-bounds plays, like, they don't seem to do that nearly as well as we're used to Bill Self teams doing. Um, and and I, I think that's probably a symptom of, of, you know, this, where they don't really have a guy that can go and execute those types of plays the same way that Bill Self usually does. That doesn't mean that they can't, consistently or they can't develop that over the course of the rest of the season. Um, you know, I'm wondering if, if a guy like Jalen Wilson is the one that you're really expecting, um, you know, to kind of grow into that role. But again, there's a lot of room that he has to 
improve in order to actually get there. And so that that is, you know, that and then consistent post-play, obviously, are like the two big things. And maybe those go hand in hand. Um, you know, you actually did see, and Bill Self talked a little bit earlier, you know, about leaning more and more towards thinking about doing that that five-guard look and having Jalen Wilson play the five. Um, you know, that might be the answer. That might be what they end up needing to do to be able to get that more consistent post-play. Maybe not all the time, but um, they've got to come up with some sort of answer there because, you know, they got absolutely killed down low at times against Oklahoma State um, in terms of rebounding and things like that because they didn't have any strong down low play. And then Texas Tech just ate them alive inside. David McCormick didn't really do anything uh, in this game. Mitch Lightfoot was getting run over half the time. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, I, I was going to say, well, Zach Clements, you know, should have gotten a better shot, but he did get nine minutes and didn't really do much. And maybe KJ Adams is the guy that needs to get more playing time. Like, what do you think is the the answer or at least the next place that they should be looking for that down low play? I mean, for me, it all comes back to the senior Dave McCormick. Like, he's he just has to be better at the end of the day. Like, it's on him. You know, KU's not – going far in March. They're not winning the big 12 without a Dave McCormick playing well, Mitch Lightfoot, you know, I love Mitch, it, you know, yeah, I know, me too. So long. and you know, it feels weird to say, but we're the same age too. So like, I, I've you know been around him for a long time now and it's, he should not be the starting big man on a KU basketball team. And that's nothing against him because he is a serviceable player, but He's going to win the Big 12. They need David McCormick to play like he did over the back half of last season. And what will it take for him to get there? I genuinely don't know. Um, I don't know why he hasn't been able to find that form again because there was that point last season, right, where he was really the consistent offense that KU had. And I feel like his shot selection has been better this year than it was last year at times, where last year at times, man, he was like, get the ball, shoot, get the ball, shoot. Where this year he's passing the ball a little bit better, I feel like. But I think it does come back to him. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Bill Self, we talked to him on Monday, and he mentioned that he he kind of regretted not playing K.J. Adams and Zach Clements uh, more earlier in the season. And I think that's starting to show a little bit, and this is why. When you look at what they did when they got to the game, neither of them look very comfortable bringing themselves into the game. They are very much trying to adapt to what's going on, not make mistakes where a lot of that time is you can go through non-conference play and these guys can work through those issues so that when they get into conference play, they know their role, they know exactly what they're supposed to do and they can execute. Where, you know, Zach Clements comes in the game and his thing should be shooting threes, right? Because that's what he really brings to the table. He's not super great defensively because he's not very big. Um, he gave up that uh, soft and one towards the end of the first half. And, you know, it just wasn't a good matchup for Clements because I think that Texas Tech, the way they were guarding, didn't allow for some of those pick-and-pop looks. But there might be games where teams decide to hard hedge against Kansas, and that's when Zach Clements comes in and maybe can knock down some shots. But I think the lack of confidence there shows um, just in terms of not really being comfortable playing college basketball yet. And you're going into all of a sudden playing the best co- best conference in college basketball without getting many minutes in non-con. And it's the same case with K.J. Adams, you know, maybe on the reverse side, where Zach Clements, you know what he is offensively, but don't really know what he is defensively. You know what K.J. Adams is defensively, versatile, you know, high energy, good rebounder. But offensively, you know, you listen to what the staff has to say, and they've compared him to Mark Vidal from Baylor. And Mark Vidal from Baylor was pretty awful offensively really early in his career. That is not a compliment. Well, I mean, it can be, right, because Vidal ends up being a a crucial piece. You know, I'm a Warriors fan, so I think about someone like Draymond Green, right, where 
you know, behind the scenes is super important. I feel like that's what vital is. And maybe right, that's right. what Adams develops into. Um, but he's not that right now. So then you're coming to this point now where you're looking up and down and you don't really have a set answer. You have pieces that could answer certain questions team might ask, but you don't have that one dominant guy that we've seen with all the really good built self teams that they've had. And I think at the end of the day, it comes back to can David McCormick play better? I would he's not going to play as bad as he was against Texas Tech because he was really bad. Um, and he's not going to always play like he did against Oklahoma State because he was really good in that game too. But can you get just some some level of consistency out of him where offensively you know what you're going to get and he can at least just stay on the floor defensively. That's all you need. Just have him be there in the paint because the on-off splits for him shooting-wise, pretty they're not good for KU when he's not on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it too is that you look at last year where it took McCormick a long time to get going. And I think they had more options. They had the ability to go more towards that, you know, that four and one on the inside or even a, a five guard lineup. They had a really good five guard lineup. So if McCormick wasn't on, it wasn't going to hurt them nearly as much. This year, I don't know that they have that fifth, you know, guy in terms of guards that they can consistently throw out there to take some of that pressure off of McCormick. And so they're trying to do it through other guys that are playing the same way that McCormick should be playing. And there's nobody who's as talented or as good as what McCormick can be. The problem is I think there's a lot of extra pressure on McCormick this year to be a really good guy down low just because they don't have another option really to go to. And and so like I do think the comments by Bill Self talking about going to the five, you know, the five out, um, that's more desperation as opposed to something he actually wants to do. And based like looking at this roster, looking at the way that they're playing, I, I mean I think that that's really what it comes down to is yeah, they don't want to play Mitch Lightfoot as many minutes as they as they have been playing him, but they really don't have a choice. Mitch Lightfoot, I, I've said this on the podcast, I'm sure everybody is about to like recite it here with me, but I see Mitch Lightfoot as that Kevin Young type energy guy, right? Like the guy that can come in, that can change the 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 nature of how it's going, can change the demeanor of the team, you know, give them that spark that they need. But he should probably only be playing about seven or eight minutes a game, honestly, coming in and providing those sparks. And then you give way back to McCormick, give McCormick those breathers or things like that. But, you know, they haven't been able to keep McCormick consistently in the mid-20s for a number of minutes because he's just been that bad. Um, he really needs to get it turned on. And, yes, like, you have hope that he can do it because he did it last year. But uh, I do think that the 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 circumstances are a little bit different that makes it a little bit harder to think that you're going to get that, you know, that improvement and that increase in value uh, from, from, from David McCormick. Well, and here's the thing too, right? It goes back to the execution because what did David have last year? Marcus Garrett, who knew exactly the right post feeds, right? Really good post feed guy knew the angles for things like that. Again, this year, they don't have that guy. Like, who's? They're not a good post feeding team this year. Like, Ochai's not good at it. Christian Brown's not good at it. Remy Martin's fine, but again, he's just kind of a loose player in general, and I don't think he necessarily looks to feed the post as much because that's not what he did at Arizona State. You know, there he was doing a lot of high ball screen stuff, which he still does with KU. But you know, Bill Self wants his guys to feed the post, so I think it goes back to just not having that guy that's going to give David the easy looks, right? Where Remember how many times Doke would get it, and yeah, sure, he was seven foot and big and could body guys, but how many times did he have the angle already set up because he did his work early and the guys found him? You know, there are yeah. times that you Dave McCormick's wide open, and whether it be because the pass doesn't come quick enough, it's not at the right angle, he's not able to take advantage of it. So I think that the Dave McCormick issue is very much on Dave McCormick, but I don't think he's necessarily getting a ton of help now from some of his teammates. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's definitely one of these things where this team, for whatever reason, just cannot seem to get comfortable at all with, with the way that they're playing. And that's going to have to be something that's going to have to change here pretty quick. Um, but speaking of comfort, while the Jayhawks may not be comfortable, you can be super comfortable with sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, all kinds of stuff. With a hundred, more than a hundred different schools available, they're adding new ones all the time, so you can find something you're absolutely going to love with a vintage college logo that's absolutely fantastic. Look, they have a whole bunch of Big 12 schools, um, Iowa State, Texas Tech, a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, they have a whole bunch of other schools too that are actually fantastic. I have a bunch of shirts from schools that I never went to and I never rooted for because I absolutely love the logos and it's super comfortable. So comfortable in fact that my wife steals them all the time. I have a hard time actually wearing my own apparel because my wife takes it from me. So, um, you'll want to make sure head on over there, find something really, really great that you're going to love. Homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code chalk12. You can get 15% off of your first order. All orders over $100 get free shipping. They are starting the brand, the brand new, big new Saturday promotion. Uh, it's actually coming out later this month. Uh, Cincinnati is the first school. We, we know that, but they are doing seven more schools that have not yet to be announced. And they did say it's a basketball focus for this big new Saturday. So perfect time to sneak in a school like Kansas that hasn't been announced yet, but we're all hoping is going to come. So head on over homefieldapparel.com promo code chalk 12 gets you 15% off your first order and all orders over a hundred dollars get free shipping. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, um, other thoughts from this game, though, because like we, we talked about the stuff down low. Um, I, I don't know that the defensive effort was necessarily that bad on, on you know, for this particular game. Overall, yes, there was definitely spots. Texas Tech did get some, some easy buckets here, but it seemed like a lot of that had more to do, for me, to them getting, you know, flustered from some questionable calls on the other end or some things on the offense not really going their way. It wasn't so much that the defense was breaking down, but it was a lot more, it seemed to me, bad offense turning into easy looks for Texas Tech on the other side. Am I, is, is there something that I'm not accounting for there? Or, I mean, is that kind of the way you were seeing it too? I, I look at the points in the paint numbers, right? And KU got smacked in the points in the paint. And that's not something that's happened a bunch this year. And when that happens, you think about it, if you're, at least I think about it a few ways, right? Where, you know, sometimes that comes in transition, which Texas Tech did have transition opportunities. But I think that a part of it, too, was guys just couldn't stay in front of Texas Tech's guys. And they couldn't guard the ball screens right. And they just weren't super sharp. And so that allowed Texas Tech to get downhill and score in the paint. And I think that you really saw the importance of Dave McCormick, you know, being in there. Um, you know, you need that big presence in there because guys like Dewan Harris, Remy Martin, you know, they can't necessarily bang with them down low where you need the big body there to take care of some of the big men so that those guards can come and help on the glass and not have a Mitch Lightfoot, you know, having to kind of hold his own down there. So I thought the defensive effort, you know, wasn't great. It wasn't high energy at all. You know, we've seen KU and they've been turned up this year um, and it didn't look like that on Saturday. And so I think going forward, you're, you know, Bill Self will obviously harp on that at times now, probably over the, the weekend and heading into Tuesday's game. But I think for me, it was very much kind of that, just how locked in the team was. And it didn't seem like it because, again, guarding ball screens wasn't super sharp. The rebounding on the glass wasn't super sharp. So I think overall, it was a team that, you know, and maybe this is what Bill Self said afterwards, I should say, you know, where he's like, they thought they could come in and kind of give effort, but they didn't really account for how turned up Texas Tech was going to be because of their own home crowd. 
you know, right. everything they've kind of gone through the last few weeks. So I think overall you look at that game and it's like just not great effort, not great execution on offense. And it just turns out to be just a, a pretty bad game in general for KU. Yeah. It, it is weird. Cause like looking at Ken Palm numbers, um, they're actually their their ratings in terms of overall defense and overall offense didn't actually change after this game, which I found a little bit surprising. Um, but to be honest, like you know, they went from fourth to fourth after the game. So like the fact that they didn't play as well as we thought they should have, and like it looked like they had a bad game, didn't change their statistical profile at all. Tells me one of two things: either we have really, really high expectations for this team, which rightfully so. I mean, they, they should be a really good team this year. Um, or two, it, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as we thought because we can pick out the things and the reasons why things went bad and maybe, you know, kind of overweight some of those. I do think that there is there is definitely something to be said for the way that Texas Tech plays, the way that they disrupt things on defense and, you know, the way that they somehow magically seem to slide over and draw a charge when you just absolutely, there's no way you think it's even possible. Um kind of what you were talking about. We'll talk a little bit more about that because it seems like there's more teams like, like that in the Big 12 than not. So, um, But yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I, I don't know that this one necessarily hurts as bad. So kind of bringing it a full circle back to what we talked about at the beginning. You always knew that Kansas was going to have one or two you know, worrisome losses or some, some troublesome losses, some games that you thought that they should have played a lot better and actually won. Um, to have one on the road against Texas Tech this early where they have a good opportunity to actually fix things um, I think is probably the the most encouraging thing to come out of this. Not that, you know, it's encouraging to ever get a loss. Um, but I definitely feel a lot better about it coming against a team like Texas Tech that is known for playing this way in Lubbock um, than, you know, maybe something like a like a TCU team that is definitely getting better, um, but probably, you know, is one of those games that you, you know, have circled as a, a game that you really should win, um, you know, barring some substantial changes between now and then. So... Um, yeah. Any other final thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I think it's fair. You know, you look at the schedule, right? And Bill Self cracked the joke afterwards that they weren't going to go eighteen and zero. Um, I'm curious to see how Baylor does this year because, man, they are legit. Um, they, yeah, they look really, really good. So I'll be interested to see what their record is. But I think you're looking at KU being a a fourteen and four type of team, I think, right? I think if you're planning out the losses here, I think you probably split with Baylor. I do think you probably split with Iowa State because I look at this team and you go up to play in Hilton and that's going to be a tough game just with the way they play defensively. Um, I, I would, I could see that being a loss. And then you're at three losses right there. And then you're looking at just one random loss somewhere else on the schedule, which could totally happen. So this strikes me as a 14 and four, you know, type of team, which is fine. It's just kind of a question of, you know, how, dang good is Baylor going to be and is anyone else going to actually help out you know Kansas because uh, man Texas doesn't look right Iowa State already had their game at home against Baylor I don't see them winning on the road against them so it'd be interesting to see how kind of Baylor shakes out because I think they're the ones that really decide what happens and that's so crazy to say that Baylor now kind of is in the position this season at least where they kind of are the ones controlling the conference. Yeah, I mean, talking about Baylor, it, it, it is kind of weird because it seems like I've watched every game that they've played in conference this year, and it seems like they're on the ropes. And then all of a sudden you get to like five minutes left in the game and they just turn it on. They've got another an, another drive, another you know gear that they kick it into. And Kansas is supposed to have one of those, so we'll see if they can get to the point where they're doing that. But, uh, yeah, it, I think that'll be really interesting to kind of see how they come out of it. 
Um, but, you know, we all knew that the Big 12 was going to be really good this year. It was going to have a lot of great teams like that. So it's just a matter of trying to catch them at the right time and, you know, hoping that, that maybe some of the, the scheduling luck that, you know, hasn't gone Kansas' way, you know, losing out on a potentially, um, you know, I guess easier start to the Big 12 schedule with TCU game having to get rescheduled, stuff like that, that ho- hopefully the breaks will even out a little bit and will allow Kansas an opportunity to, to at least stay within striking distance of Baylor coming down the stretch. So, all right, I do want to move ahead and, I mean, look ahead to the Iowa State game. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Welcome one, welcome all. And yes, I want you to listen to the Tortillas and Takes podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week and and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. And we're back here with Michael Swain of Fog.net, 24-7 Sports. Um, we are we just got done talking about Texas Tech. We're going to take a look now at this Iowa State game uh, coming up. Obviously, it was absolutely fantastic to have you come on for this one because you just came over to Fog.net from covering Iowa State for a while here. So you're fairly familiar with this team. Um you know, so I, I, I do want to ask you, in terms of this particular game, what is the, the main thing that a Kansas fan needs to be aware of as kind of the quote-unquote biggest threat that Iowa State brings to, a, to KU? Yeah, this isn't your typical Iowa State team. You know, you think about Iowa State in years past under, you know, Prome or Fred, and they were really good offensive teams that didn't play much defense. This is the exact opposite where – Man, Iowa State plays elite defense. Um, I think they're top 10, number six, I want to say, maybe yep, in Ken Number Hall, six, yep. Um, it's almost like I looked that up ahead of time. Uh, almost. And so I, I think that they're such a good defensive team that they're going to make life hard on Kansas. And I'm looking at some of the matchups here where Gabe Kalsher is going to probably guard Remy Martin if Remy Martin starts, or even when Remy Martin's on the floor, Gabe Kalsher is going to do it. And Gabe Kalsher was the best defender on Minnesota last year arguably the best defender on Iowa State this year. He is usually tasked with locking up the best player on the other team. And with Ray Martin being banged up, that's going to be a tough matchup for him to win. So you just can't lose that matchup now with turnovers and bad shots. Then you look at someone like Tyrese Hunter, the freshman point guard that they have. He's someone that I honestly thought Bill Self maybe should have taken a look at, maybe over some taking someone like Yesifu, um, because he is elite defensively you know, plays with a lot of passion on that end of the floor, but offensively super explosive can be a bit of a streaky shooter, but is super athletic. Um, and then you work your way down and Isaiah Brockton has been a, not a surprise, but you know, cause you talk to anyone at Iowa state heading into the season, they would always tell you Isaiah Brockton's going to be a leading scorer. 
um, he's got more of a mid-range game, right? And so he's probably, you know, if Jalen Wilson is out there, he's probably going to take Wilson. Um, if not, it'll probably be on Abaji, um, which is another really interesting matchup. And, of course, Tristan Nenaruna, who has had an in- interesting season. You know, he's someone that looked like the Kansas Tristan Nenaruna early on in the year and has slowly kind of been more aggressive as the games have gone on. And he's been a lot better as of late. So I think overall you look up and down, and they've got a lot of really good defensive players. It's just a question of is Iowa State going to be able to score, you know, 60 points against Kansas, or are they going to be kind of in that 40 to 50 range? Because that team, if they're not making threes, they are not going to be able to score the ball because they don't have any post presence. Isaiah Bronson takes all these mid-range shots, which are great, but not super efficient looks. So it's one of these Iowa State teams where super, super good defensively, but they're not hitting three-point shots on the other end. I mean, it's that's why they've really – that's why they struggled against Oklahoma. You know, they went cold on offense down the stretch of the game there. So it's not your typical Iowa State team. Well, right, and, and, and honestly – you know, profile-wise, they actually grade out as a more extreme version of an Oklahoma State team, right? Where they have a better defense, but an offense that's probably about the same or worse. Um, just looking at statistical profiles, and so like this is this could end up being a very similar game to what happened against Oklahoma State. Not saying that we're going to have you know a stretch where Kansas misses 19 straight shots or, or 20 straight shots or whatever it actually, the actual official count was. Um, and then they go on a tear in the second half, but you could see large swings as this team is prone to do of, you know, you make a good, like nine out of 10 over a short stretch and then miss like seven shots in a row and allow the other team an opportunity to kind of get back into it. So unfortunately, you know, this is the perfect setup for that sort of thing where, you know, streaky teams like the Jayhawks that seem to go on cold spurts and then heat up like crazy, um, meeting another team in Iowa State that is perfectly set up to be able to allow that sort of thing to happen and really kind of make it more, like intensify those streaks. Um, I think that's really what I'm worried about in this game is, you know, this this team seems to have an issue, this, this team being KU seems to have an issue of when everything starts to roll, they really get going really quickly. But if they start to struggle, it can snowball on them quite a bit. Um, and Iowa State is, is a team that can definitely cause you to struggle, especially early. So I am definitely curious to see how they're able to handle it. Um, you know, Iowa State did a similar sort of thing to Baylor. They got down quite a bit to Baylor and then had a furious comeback in the second half to get it and only lose by like five. Um, so I'm not really sure kind of what you were saying, the guys to, to watch out for. I am kind of curious because I, I would have thought, you know, I'm looking statistically um, coming into the year, you thought that George Condit was going to be the guy that like, was going to really you know, push this team forward. And he was the guy that a lot of people were talking about and everything. Um, he's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat. Is that, is that expected based off every, the way everything's developed? Or has this been a weird enough season that just guys have come out of nowhere and he's kind of been pushed back? Well, what are we grading him on, right? Are we looking back to last year? Are we looking back to like his freshman year? Because last year he was awful. Like he was, Fair. Was awful. he was overweight and he talked about it a lot where the pandemic really got to him, which I don't think maybe got covered enough talking about some of these guys having to deal with that, right? Where you had to isolate, you're not around your friends as much. Socially, you're not being able to really get out. So I think that it was tough. And it was tough on George last year. Um, the off-the-court stuff was just tough. And so he didn't have a good year. I think this year he's been fine. You know, he's TJ doesn't want him taking post-ups. They want him to be a rim-running big man. And that was really the big thing you heard in the preseason with Iowa State was 
you know, they wanted George to be the big, you know, rim running guy. And could he embrace that? And I think he has embraced it. And he's doing these things now where it's not necessarily going to show up on the stat sheet, but it's like bumping guys. He's been a lot more involved as a facilitator now. So he's passing the ball a lot more on the perimeter and, and taking more of like a, a high post role that maybe you saw in some of the old Bill self teams when they ran the the two bigs. So I think for Iowa State, George Condit's been fine. You know, has he been up to what everyone wanted and what maybe some thought he would be after losing all the weight? Not necessarily, but he's not been bad by any means. And I think that for Iowa State, I think the biggest surprise at that five spot has been Aljaz Koontz, um, a Washington State transfer who analytically, you know, is someone that the staff there at Iowa State really liked because shoots three-pointers really well, is athletic, um, and does some of the extra things that TJ loves, right? He's the one that if you're, I don't even know if they do this, these props out there, but if you live in one of those like DraftKings states that you can like do it, I'm right. from Iowa where, I, you know, you could do that stuff, right? Um, but if you're in one of those states, I would take the over on whatever the, the, the drawn charges is for Coons because he takes one a game easily. So he's going to take one on Tuesday. I'm 90% sure of that. And he's been a big surprise. So he's someone that's maybe a bit smaller at the five, but I think he's probably allowed Iowa State to play that four guard look with him and Anaruna at the four and the five where Condit hasn't been on the floor a bunch. So I think for Iowa State, it's a super versatile team. Um, and I'll take it somewhere else real quick too. Uh, I love their approach on offense. You know, it may not be pretty in their shot selection, um, but their yeah. shot selection is really good. They don't take mid-range shots. The only guy that takes mid-range shots is Brockington, and he shoots them at an efficient rate. Um, they have kind of adapted what you saw with the Houston Rockets, where it's layups or three-pointers, and that's all Iowa State does. It's shots at the rim or shots behind the three-point arc. And that's why when they're hot, they're a really, really tough team to beat because they play such good defense, and if they're making their threes, you're not going to have enough possessions to overcome a scoring drought that you're going to have against that defense. So I think it all comes back to, is Iowa State making shots? And are they going to make shots in Allen Fieldhouse? And I would be willing to bet no, first time around, maybe yes when they're back up at Hill. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things where you do have to worry. Uh, like what you're talking about with the shot selection, you know, that's why if you look even in, you know, the losses that they've had um, – you know, you look at that that shot quality. I forget what the the Twitter mm. account is, but you like you yeah, look at yeah, it and yeah. say like, what is the percentage of you know the team would have won based off of the normal distributions when you take these particular types of shots? And Iowa State usually does really well in those because they don't take bad shots. Um, yeah. You know, and that's really what it comes down to is you know I, I think that's really the biggest story with Iowa State because you talk about how individual players, you talk about some of the guys that came over, but. T.J. Altsberger, I think, is the biggest story for Iowa State. The fact that they've turned it around going from Steve Prohm to Altsberger. And there was a lot of people. It was like, hey, you know, it's nice to have an Iowa State guy in here. But given what he did at his prior stop, like, you know, don't expect a bunch of, you know, big things really, really quickly. Um, you know, UNLV definitely struggled while he was there. Not necessarily his own fault. It may, it may just not have been a good fit or, you know, there's other things kind of going on. But, um, you know. Talking to Iowa State fans, because I, I know quite a bit, um, they did not seem like they, they were happy to have him because anything's better than Steve, the way that Steve Prohm ended last season. But uh, they didn't seem super, super excited. And obviously that tune has changed. So what, from the time that you spent with that team, like what is it that Otzelberger has been doing different that's allowed him to get this performance out of these players at this point? I think... I think it's a few things. Um, in terms of what has won the fans over, it's how hard the guys try. You watched the Iowa State team last year, oof. There were some nights where 
you know, you just questioned the motive, right? What was there in this season? You can't like, even when they've sucked offensively, they still are going 110% every single possession. And TJ lost his mind after one game. Oh man. I don't remember which one it was, but he was so mad. Like, just and they were blowing out a team. Maybe it was like Alabama State or something, but they were blowing out a team. He got pissed because they all of a sudden, over the last 10 minutes of the game, allowed the other team to shoot like 53, 54% from the field. And that got him riled up. And that's what's allowed him to win over the fans, where they knew he was going to be able to recruit. That's always been his thing. But it, can you get the team to buy into this vision and, and buy into this culture? And they've done that. And I think that it can't be overstated I think maybe the impact that Matt Campbell has had in this um because you know Matt Campbell obviously is known for doing the whole culture thing at Iowa State TJ really admires that and he's tried to do some of those similar things that Campbell did where you get rid of some of those not necessarily culture fits early on right effort wise and you bring in guys that are the culture fits and that's what Campbell did and that's what TJ did and it's paying off for him now um I think in terms of the hiring process it's so funny because you know, Jamie Pollard, the AD at Iowa State, when they announced that Prohm was leaving, um, he mentioned finances as a big thing and how they need to be, I think the word is creative with the way they're going to do it. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, it's going to be TJ because he'd be willing to come back on a creative salary where right. some of the other guys they were linked with, right? You know, it's like DeVries at Drake. It's, um, you know, there's some Dane Allman stuff out there. I'm not sure how real that was, but there were different names out there. And it's like, all of them are going to cost outside of TJ because TJ would come back for anything because he loves Iowa state so much. And I think that all these things combined where it's TJ loving Iowa state, Iowa state fans knowing TJ is going to give it his all. And then all of a sudden to have things kind of start on the right foot where they won games early. And then all of a sudden they go and have that NIT uh, around Thanksgiving, right. Where they beat Xavier beat Memphis. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, playing with house money from here on out. And so they're probably going to, make the NCAA tournament this year just because they're, they're going to get enough wins most likely. Um, so I think looking at it in terms of Iowa State fans, it's a good hire. It's just a question of, you know, recruiting wise, you know, what's that going to look like over the next few years? But it's been an interesting first kind of few months because I think even going back to preseason, right, you talk to anyone in that program, they weren't sure how good they're going to be. Like they yeah. genuinely didn't know. Like they thought could be a, a seven, eight win team could also get up into the uh, you know, high mid teens, but nobody thought they'd get out here and, you know, go undefeated and get non-conference play and kind of be one of these highly ranked teams now and start a conference play now. So I think overall, been a really good start for Iowa State. And I'm interested to see how it kind of pans out over the next few years because obviously TJ is not going to go anywhere. It's a dream job. So interesting to see how it kind of all plays out for him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Iowa State is definitely one of those teams. Yes, I think they come back to the pack a little bit. There's no way, you know, that they're going to be – top two or three in the conference, but, you know, they, they definitely are a lot better than most people gave them credit for. They were expected to be last in the conference, and again, because brand new coach, you know, they only won two games last year. Like, the expectation was that Otzelberger could get them there, but it was going to take a little while. Um, obviously, it's accelerating a whole lot, and hopefully it's not a situation where, you know, the only thing you can do now is go down, because, you know, this has been a great story for them. I do think that you're right in that Iowa State, you know, unless they only win another two or three games, like, it's hard for them to find bad losses in the Big 12. And they're going to accumulate enough wins in the Big 12, I think, that they're going to get to the point where their resume is going to look great because, you know, they they blew out a Memphis team. They blew out a Xavier team. Like, they blew out uh, Iowa as well. Like, they blew out all of their non-conference games that were good opportunities for good wins. They won. Not not only did they win, they won handily. 
So this mm-hmm. is a team that is starting to get the respect and will continue, I think, to get the respect the rest of the year that will allow them to kind of get there. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Like, I, I, I know enough Iowa State people that I, I didn't want them to have to deal through another super painful season, although I would kind of wish that maybe, you know, Kansas can get a couple wins against them because they're going to need them. Um, but, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I'm excited uh, because it just it raises up the, the floor of the Big 12, which, you know, continues to help and continues to get better and better. You know, at this point, I don't think there's anybody that can legitimately argue with a straight face that the Big 12 is not hands down the best conference overall in the in all of college basketball. There's still people that are making the case for the Big 10. It was like, you, you look at, like, you know, best players like the the – Big Ten or like the, I should say the player of the year type of stuff. And like, there's a lot more Big Ten candidates on it. It's like, yeah, but the teams aren't anywhere near as good. So. No. Yeah. It's like, I would say this big finish last in the Big 12 and they are awesome. And TCU was undefeated in non-conference play or maybe they had one loss. I don't remember. You know, Kansas State's really the only stinker team and there's a good chance that they might get some, or they could get some decent wins throughout college. Well, the funny thing was, I, I forget who it was to put the graph out, but there was a graph that showed like visually all of the different college basketball teams. And like, I think the big 10 was the only conference where the middle of the conference was higher than the bottom of the big 12. Like that, that was it. Like the big 10 was the only one that had, so the big 10 was the only one that had more than half of their teams above Kansas state <laughs> and, and Kansas state being the worst, you know, for, for the big 12. And it wasn't particularly close. So like, it's one of those things where this is a killer conference night in and night out. Um, let's let's wrap up on the Iowa State portion here with just one final thought. What, what do you think is going to be the biggest key for this game? We've kind of talked a little bit about the charges. Yes, it's an Allen Fieldhouse, so hopefully that will help a little bit. They'll be a little bit more comfortable. Um, but what do you think is going to be the biggest key that will tell us pretty quickly into this game how the game is going to go, where the Kansas fans are going to be happy with this, or it's going to be a super frustrating night where Kansas fans are wondering what the heck is going on with this team again? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think I hit on it a little bit earlier, but it is Iowa State making shots. Um, cause we've seen Kansas is not necessarily the most, um, sharp executing on defense th- this year, right? So is, is Iowa State able to get some open looks and are they making shots? Uh, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, is Iowa State speeding Kansas up? Because what Iowa State does is they have some high ball pressure and you're going to see some of those Iowa State coaches going crazy on the bench because they're going to be just lotting their guys to get into the Kansas guys. Interested to see how Ray Martin does against that with his knee that's a little banged up. Bill said he practiced um, the last few days, so we'll see how he looks. I mean, you just never know with these knee things, right, how it's going to yeah. do when he wakes up in the morning and all that. So I'll be interested to see kind of how Kansas responds to Iowa State's ball pressure because they'll be able to turn Kansas over, I think, a few times. But can Kansas keep composure to then – be able to kind of stick through it and be able to fight through kind of that ball pressure um, because they aren't super great interior, you know, George Condit's fine, but he can get in foul trouble. So if he gets in foul trouble, good for KU. But I think for me, I'm looking at the two things, you know, defensively for KU, can they guard three point line offensively? Can they keep composure, not get sped up? Um, I think those are probably the two big things for, for KU in this game. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, did want to talk about a couple other things. Uh, as well, obviously, we we talked up front about KU football and how it's great to have a KU football team that people are excited about. Um, you know what? We are nearing the very end of the college football season, which means, unfortunately, for a sponsor here on the podcast, Symbol, there's one less thing for you to actually be purchasing for. But you guys all know about Symbol, and if not, well, guess what? Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit 
uh, off of your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you earn cash. Use that sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 8,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams by going to Symbol.com. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com. Create a free account when you deposit. Make sure you use promo code CHALK12 to get a money-back guarantee. Yes, you heard that right. The money-back guarantee. Everyone who listens to the show uses that promo code. Uh, will allow or will be able to in the first 90 days come on try it out do it you know whatever they want purchase stocks from a whole bunch of different teams look they have nfl nba mlb college football uh you know they also have nhl they're looking to add this year the epl so soccer and then also college basketball for the next college basketball season unfortunately it won't be this one but it'll be next one so you can come on now you know get familiar with all of it have a whole lot of fun and what that means is after 90 days if you have not made any money, you decide, hey, this isn't for me. I want all my money back. Just let them know. They'll give you everything back that you deposited up to the initial deposit of $500. So promo code CHOCK12 over at symbol.com. Get that money back guarantee up to $500. Head on over there. Start investing and profiting and having a whole bunch of fun with your favorite teams today. All right. So talking about KU football, right? Recruiting obviously is coming up. Uh, the, the the new recruiting or I forget. It's like beginning of February. I It's funny because once they started doing the early signing day period, I think everybody kind of forgot about the final one. <laughs> Unless you are really, really into recruiting all the time. Or you have a team that really needs additional stuff that they couldn't get in the early one. Um, you know, Kansas obviously has a bunch of different targets that they've talked about. They had a very small class in the early signing period. Um, I, I do know I saw about the Minnesota running back, you know, that, that is coming to campus at some point here. Um, but in terms of Kansas football recruiting, what what are the maybe it's a couple different things or a particular guy that you're looking at that are going to be big stories that KU football fans want to keep an eye on in the next coming weeks? Yeah, for sure. I think you know obviously visits start on Thursday of this week. Um, KU's going to have a defensive end, Lonnie Phelps Jr. on campus from Miami of Ohio. Um, you, if you look up and down the roster for KU football, right, the big need right now is defensive end because you lost Kyron Johnson, you lost Stephen Parker. And you need to add a defensive end that create pass rush because that's something K didn't really have if Kyron Johnson wasn't getting pressure last year. So Lonnie Phelps is the name to know. Um, he'll visit, I think it's what, Thursday, Friday um, of this week. Uh, I think we reported, you know, Monday afternoon, he's going to go to Virginia Tech after as well. They've not offered yet, but that'll be something to watch. Um, then this weekend, Kai Thomas, the Minnesota running back you alluded to, will be on campus. Um, he is... Topeka native, uh, was a four-star recruit on 24-7 sports. KU offered him uh, coming out of high school. This is actually the third KU staff that is recruiting him. David Beatty offered him. Uh, then Les Miles re-offered and recruited him. And now you've got Lance Leipold recruiting him. So he wants to play closer to home. We'll be interesting to see what kind of happens there. Um, in terms of the high school stuff, it's really fascinating because you look at KU's roster right now, and it's a lot of underclassmen. And what – needs to happen here, you know, this cycle, maybe a little bit in 2023 is rebalancing out some of those scholarships where a lot of them right now are underclassmen. And especially with the extra COVID year, these guys all have the ability to use an additional year. So there are a lot of freshmen, redshirt sophomores and sophomores on the roster right now. So what they're going to do is go light on high school kids this cycle in 2022. Don't know yet on 2023 what that's going to look like. I would assume it would be a little bit smaller in terms of high school class. Um, But the one kind of position they do need at the high school level now is a corner. And that's kind of what they're going to look to do now over the next three weeks before the late signing period is get a high school corner. Um, 
obviously if they don't find one they like, they're not going to just waste a scholarship on a kid. You can't right. do that at this point, right? KU's so close to getting back to 85 scholarships, which has been a talking point as long as I've been following KU football. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you're looking at KU getting back to the point now where, you know, it didn't end well with Les Miles. And I think you could make a lot of gripes about the way that he handled things off the field in terms of coordinators, in terms of other things. But man, he really did help get the scholarship situation at least just more manageable. You know, a lot more talent on the roster now than there was in the past. So I think going forward, you know, high school corner, big position need, defensive end, big position need in the transfer portal. Then you're looking at going into the spring now where, and it's so fascinating how the transfer portal has changed things. Um, oh, I, I could go on for hours about this stuff, but. You know, you're looking at basically multiple kind of cycles of portal stuff, right? So there's going to be postseason, you know, when the season ends, a lot of portal entries. Then you're going to get some portal entries here probably the next few weeks as classes start because um, these guys that are smart are going to go to their first couple classes, guarantee themselves scholarship for the semester, then enter the portal, right? Yep. That's smart. Um, then when spring practice ends, more transfers, right? Because those guys are then going to realize, oh man, I was in spring practice. I barely got any reps. Like I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere where I can get reps. And so there's going to be another influx of transfers in the spring. And that's when KU is going to go fill out, you know, the final several spots of, of this class and try and fill out some of those positions of need, you know, offensive line is one um, linebackers. One, I think they've looked at some guys, be interested if you take a wide receiver, because that's a big worry I have for this year is, you know, do they have any kind of go-to guys, a wide receiver, a lot of young players, just not a lot of proven guys. So fascinating time for KU football. And if the visits this weekend go really well, you're looking at them filling, you know, kind of a big need there. Defensive end, you add a playmaker in Kai Thomas. You know, then all of a sudden you look at next year, you got Devin Neal, Kai Thomas, and Sevion Morrison in your backfield. It's pretty dang good. And oh, yeah. I think that long-term you got to feel good about the offense with Jalen Daniels and or Jason Bean. Um, and then defensively, you know, you brought in, some good talent, right? The young kid from Ohio State, going to be a linebacker. Eric Gilliard from UCF, going to be a linebacker. Um, and then Kalon Gervin from Michigan State, going to be a cornerback. So I think looking ahead, I think for me at least, you're looking at 2023, be able to compete in every game, a lot like that 2019 season maybe under Les Miles, right, where they were in every game and were able to pull off an upset or two. Um, I, I think that's what you should expect from KU football this fall is being able to compete in every game and maybe get three – maybe four wins, you know, and then 2023, that's the real big one. That's the big year. Cause that's when all these transfers they added, um, all those guys will be in their final year in 2023. All these young underclassmen that we've talked a lot about will be upperclassmen getting towards that point. So I think 2023, man, looking pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what, about I was to say, it's kind of but funny because you talk about, you know, uh, they're going to be in most games this year and have a chance to steal some. Uh, I, I am actually fairly well known for my bold predictions. I made the bold prediction that KU is going to beat Texas this year, uh, actually over a year ago. Um, and it, and it worked out just fine for me. I've already made the bold prediction over on the, the 1012 podcast that I'm on that covers all the, the Big 12 teams. Um, and, and, you know, the network that we're actually part of. And, uh, I actually said that KU is going to go bowling this year. So that was my bold prediction for this year. So we'll see, you know, if I can go two for two on those. Uh, it should be absolutely fantastic. So. Uh, but no, kind of what you're talking about, like the, you know, the, the transfer portal has really kind of changed the way that recruiting works, especially these recruiting days. Because like, if you think about it, the early signing period, yes, you'd get a decent number of transfers, but the early signing period is really about high school players. Um, and then this second one is really about high school players again. Like those are the two dates where you really have to lock in high school players. 
but you can recruit year-round now. You can get new guys coming into your program year-round now because of the transfer portal. Because there is not really a restriction, uh, except for like after classes start, there's not really a restriction on when you can add a guy and actually add him to the roster for the upcoming season. So like once the season starts, yes, you can't add him for that particular season. Um, but you are able to continue to add people, you know, in February or March or April. Like you can add throughout the entire beginning half of the first year or of, of the year because they can come from another school. And so as long as you're doing that, like, yeah, it completely changes the recruiting calendar. It completely changes the way we think about, I think, recruiting at this point, which means that it's super important to be paying attention to it, especially if you're expecting Kansas to take a huge step forward, like apparently I am this year. So, so Michael, that leads me to kind of this final question for you. Uh, obviously, you do a lot of covering of both KU basketball and KU football. Uh, do you guys do a lot of recruiting coverage over there at Fog.net? But where can everybody find all the recruiting information they could possibly want? Yeah, of course. Um, definitely, if you're into it, you know, come take a look at signing for a VIP subscription at Fog.net. Um, you'll have access to myself, um, all of our recruiting experts, and all of our team sites as well. So, for example, Lonnie Phillips or Phelps, I should say, going to Virginia Tech. You want to see how how it goes there? You can go check in on the Virginia Tech website, and our publisher, Evan, will keep you in the loop there. So definitely look at signing up. It's a dollar for your first month. If you want to try that out, we'll probably have a sale here you know, at some point later in the month around Kentucky game, I think. So good opportunity there. But Fog.net is where you can find all that stuff. Myself on Twitter, at mswain247, um, all that good stuff. And always appreciate everyone's support, and uh, it, it's been a great start here over the last uh, three weeks. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was excited to hear you coming back over. I, I knew, I knew, or I was aware of you when you were, you know, at fog.net with Scott there. Um, and then when you went over to Iowa State, I was like, oh man, you know, another one that, that gets away and then glad to have you coming back. So I, I appreciate your work while you were here. I kind of followed a little bit while you were up at Iowa State and I'm glad to have you back here. Uh, love the cover that you have. So again, if you have not already, head on over to fog.net, get all of that great stuff over there. Um, but that is going to do it for us today. Mike, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. Uh, if you can give us a rating and a review, you can now do that not just on Apple Podcasts, but also on Spotify. Um, you know, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. If for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 network, like I talked about, uh, the network that covers all 10 teams or all 10 and soon to be 14 and then 12 teams in the Big 12 conference. Uh, we have great podcasts over there covering all the different teams. We keep adding new people all the time. Uh, so if you head over on Twitter to 1012network, that's T-E-N-1-2, the word network, you can find links to all the great shows. You can keep up to date with everything going on in the conference, especially how it affects the Kansas Jayhawks here. So uh, if you if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that because we're on the Anchor platform. You can get your voice on the show. Go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and I promise we'll get you on the show. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. Michael, again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
1012 Network listeners, this is Dustin from the Scott and Holman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar Athletics Podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott and Holman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply